For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 14th episode of OT Leadership Live. My name is Michael Lopez, and I will be co-facilitating our conversation this evening along with my colleague, Sarah Grinder. For those of you new to OT Leadership Live, welcome. And for those of you who have participated in our past episodes, welcome back. We have a very special episode planned for you tonight, and I'm very excited to hear from our guests, our two AOTA presidential candidates, Dr. Wendy C. Hildenbrand and Dr. Sean Phipps. This inaugural Meet the Candidates podcast will function as more of a panel discussion as opposed to a traditional debate. Each candidate will have approximately four minutes to answer each question, and we hope that our discussion today provides you with inspiration to engage in the elections process and knowledge to inform your vote for our next AOTA president. The AOTA online voting window will be open from January 9th through January 30th, 2018. Before we start tonight's conversation, I'd like to review some housekeeping items in order to ensure our call runs as smoothly as possible. If you are on your phone and you haven't done so already, please make sure that you press mute. If you are on your computer, please mute your microphone in order to minimize the static and feedback that can occur during the recording. Only the person currently speaking should have their device unmuted at that time. The audience will not be allowed to tweet or post questions via TalkShoe, but instead we encourage you to redirect your questions and further dialogue to the 2018 election forum on OT Connections. If you are not by a computer and are joining us via your phone, you can always live tweet with us using the hashtag OTLeadershipLive. For those of you who may have to leave early or if you know of anyone who wasn't available to participate live this evening, we are also recording this episode and we'll and we'll be posting a link to the recording, on, link AOTA's to the recording on AOTA's social media website, social media that, is website Connection. that is OT Connection. Sorry, I was getting a little bit of feedback. Under the Leadership Forum, which can be easily accessed by visiting communityofleaders.org. Before we get started, I would also like to provide you with a brief introduction re regarding OT Leadership Live. Our co-hosts today, myself, Michael Lopez, and Sarah Grinder, are occupational therapists who serve on AOTA's Community of Leaders, an AOTA group or community of practice with a shared interest in leadership within the profession of occupational therapy. The group is dedicated to promoting occupational therapy leadership and building an AOTA leadership community. OT Leadership Live is a podcast-style series of discussions that the Community of Leaders hosts on a regular basis. The series was designed to reach practitioners and students with an interest in leadership across a variety of relevant professional topics. Through these conversations with leaders in our profession, we hope to foster a dialogue about professional leadership in occupational therapy and provide an opportunity for direct engagement with AOTA members and leaders within the profession. For tonight's episode, we are joined by two distinguished guests, our two AOTA presidential candidates. Dr. Wendy C. Hildenbrand, and Dr. Sean Phipps. To learn more about their views and ideas for continuing to move the profession of occupational therapy forward, 
towards Vision 2025. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce our guests. As candidate for AOTA's president-elect, Wendy C. Hildenbrand brings leadership experience grounded by grassroots people and service and developed through progressive elected leadership opportunities over her 28-year career as an occupational therapist. Dr. Hildenbrand's leadership journey starts in the Kansas Occupational Therapy Association, where she has served in several committee and leadership roles, including conference chair, treasurer, and as elected two-term president from 1994 through 1999. Committed to the work of state associations, she served as vice chair of the Committee of State Association Presidents Steering Committee from 1999 through 2002. Her policy and governance interests, along with her desire to serve, as a voice for constituents led Dr. Hildenbrand to AOTA's Representative Assembly as the Kansas representative for two years before being elected by colleagues to lead as Speaker of the Representative Assembly from 2004 through 2007. After taking time to pursue doctoral study, Dr. Hildenbrand returned to AOTA leadership when elected to serve the profession as a board director on the AOTA Board of Directors from 2014 through 2017. Now in her 22nd year, Dr. Hildebrand is a clinical assistant professor in the Occupational Therapy Education Department at the University of Kansas Medical Center. She earned her Bachelor of Science in Occupational Therapy in 1989, the Master of Public Health in 2002, and her Doctor of Philosophy in Public Administration in 2016, all from the University of Kansas. Her practice, practice experience includes work in mental health, school-based practice, community health, and population health. Professional interests and expertise includes leadership, professional formation, policy development and implementation, advocacy, and building bridges between policy, academia, and practice. As the focus of her dissertation, Dr. Hildenbrand examined the experience of role conflict in frontline occupational therapy professionals when implementing policies such as productivity requirements and working to maintain professional values, such as client-centered care. Her daily work with students and long-standing relationships with practitioners fuel her concern for occupational therapy practice environments and the pressures of practice on frontline occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you very Dr. much. Dr. Sean Phipps is the Vice President of the American Occupational Therapy Association and has served on the AOTA Board of Directors from 2012 to the present. He has also served in the AOTA Representative Assembly, the AOTA Affiliated State Association Presidents, the AOTA Emerging Leaders Development Program, and has served as chair of the AOTA Centennial Commission and the AOTA Distinct Value Committee. Dr. Phipps is also a member of the Board of Trustees for the American Occupational Therapy Foundation. He currently serves as the Chief Quality Officer and Associate Hosp Associate Hospital Administrator at Rancho Los Amigos National Rehabilitation Center. Dr. Phipps is celebrating 20 years at Rancho this year, where he has also served as an OT clinical specialist, supervisor, and manager on the brain injury, spinal cord injury, stroke, and pediatric services. He has also served two consecutive elected terms of office as the president of the Occupational Therapy Association of California from 2008 through 2012, and served as an Occupational Therapy Association of California executive board member from 2000 through 2008. Dr. Phipps has been inducted as a fellow of the American Occupational Therapy Association and was a recipient of the AOTA Cordelia Myers Writers Award. 
Dr. Phipps has also received the Occupational Therapy Association of California Practice Award, the Occupational Therapy Association of California Award of Excellence, and the AOTA Recognition of Achievement Award for Excellence in Leadership, Management, and Administration. He is also an adjunct professor and a member of the Board of Counselors at the University of Southern California and practices as an OT at UCLA Medical Center. Dr. Phipps has served as an OT practitioner, educator, researcher, and has published and presented extensively at the state, national, and international levels. Welcome, Sean. Thank you again to our 2018 AOTA presidential candidates for their time and willingness to share their insights with us. We are honored to speak with you today, and we wish you both the best of luck. And to all of our listeners, if you haven't already, we ask that you please ensure that your device is muted at this time. To our guests, today's discussion will follow a question and answer format. I will pose the first question and then give you both the opportunity to answer. Each candidate will have approximately four minutes to answer each question. That being said, let's start with our first question. Wendy, I will direct the first question to you. Okay. Act active member participation is critical to the success of AOTA. What are your ideas for recruiting, retaining, and engaging members, and how does this provide membership value? Okay, well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight and to uh, engage with membership in this forum. So thank you again for uh, just making this opportunity available. Uh, I love the question. Active member participation is critical to AOTA success, and what will we do? Um, Active membership participation is one of my favorite things. Uh, it is part of being a citizen in our profession, whether voting, holding an office, contributing to a paper, calling your senator, or even just reading your OT practice magazine to stay informed and aware of current issues. Uh, but all of us have that, that opportunity and that right as paying members to be active participants. Uh, it's what you do to be a small part of supporting uh, the greater good of OT. Uh, you know, but secondly, active participation means very different things to different people. Uh, perhaps you are more active because of a particular professional issue that has your attention. Uh, maybe you have a need to network and connect with people and information. Uh, other people remain active uh, as a way of recognition. Uh, the flip side of that, when people are not actively participating, uh, this can often be due to a change of seasons in their own personal life, but it can also be things like lacking connection with professional colleagues and dissatisfaction with AOTA or its leaders. Uh, none of that we like to hear or have be the case. Uh, regardless, people have to be their own kind of active. Uh, I will lead, though, with saying active participation is an expectation for all AOTA members and encourage non-members to become active with us again. Uh, make us your professional home. Uh, as far as recruiting members, we have to catch our folks early. We need to catch them as students. We need to start the fire and excitement and make membership fun. High energy is always good. Uh, but I want students to identify themselves and identify professional membership as part of their identity. Uh, we all have to set the expectation and we have to model that behavior. So whether it's in academic programs, whether it's in our uh, clinical environments, uh, we need to be those people. But we can't stop here. Uh, recruitment also means connecting with practitioners, uh, keeping a hold of former members, going after non-members, asking them to come and join us, uh, pay that $18.75 a month, 
to be a part of our organization. Retaining members, uh, part of that has to do with uh, making it affordable and available, uh, which is the case. We have to value all members, though, and be relevant to them and meet their needs. Uh, members stay members if they feel heard. They, they stay members if they find ways to participate, uh, be included in discussions and decisions and things that matter. And members of underrepresented populations of practitioners within our profession will stay members when we acknowledge diversity concerns and recognize how, how important it is for people to see models and leadership and conference presentations and alongside them in practice. We will re retain members if the door is open and if the welcome is warm and inclusive. As far as engaging members, a very simple answer is to ask people to be engaged. Ask them how they want to be engaged. Uh, all three uh, vice presidential candidates last night talked about the importance of finding the right fit. Uh, that matters too, and we can help. But one of the ways we might want to start with that is by remembering that our state associations and that state association level is a great grassroots place for us to develop active participation as a habit and aspiring leaders uh, to move forward. I would just say thank you to Kansas for that. Uh, finally, communication from leadership is critical, not just casual, intentional though, specific, and focused on getting to know our members and serving their membership needs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Wendy. And Sean, I will repeat the question for you. Active member participation is critical to the success of AOTA. What are your ideas for recruiting, retaining, and engaging members, and how does this provide membership value? Thank you, Michael, and welcome, everybody. Happy New Year. Um, I think it's great that we started off with this question because I think it's the, the heart of the matter when we look at the success of the association. We obviously cannot have a productive and powerful association without members. They are our lifeblood. And we've seen increases in membership over the last 10 years. Um, we did reach a, a milestone at 60,000 members a few years ago, and we've been kind of continuing on that track. We've done a really great job of recruiting students at the academic level, but we start to see that they fall off as members within their first two years of practice. Some of them come back later at, at the five-year point, um, but we need to do a better job of really identifying what those factors are. Some of them that we already know is that the student loans start to kick in and their membership check is oftentimes the last one that they write. And I think that speaks to value. They have to understand the value of their membership and their participation in the association. So we have to do a better job of really showing the value and that yes, we totally understand that there are competing priorities um, but your, your engagement, your membership is absolutely critical for the future of the profession. I had the opportunity of participating as the chairperson for an ad hoc committee that recommended the development of the Volunteer Leadership Development Committee, or the VLDC, um, back in 2011. And it was also at the time that the, the COOL online database, and COOL stands for Coordinated Online Opportunities for Leadership, um, those tools and that VLDC structure has been extremely successful in recruiting members into committees and leadership roles that match their aptitudes, their desires, their, um, their wants in terms of engagement. Um, we still have to do a better job of really reaching out to people that we tend to miss. And, and one of the things that I've, I've 
I've noticed over the course of my career, sometimes even when you feel like you're communicating too much to members, somebody's missing the message. So you have to really target the message in many different ways. And one size doesn't fit all, and you have to customize that, that communication outreach method to members in very different ways. Because some people actually like the, the forum that we have tonight. Like I would love to see us do, I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed with the community of leaders and, and developing these uh, leadership live episodes via podcast because I think it's such an excellent way of engaging. And, you know, this is going to work for some, and then other members um, may not be the ones to dial in, but how can we reach them better? And we know that uh, we have competition. You know, we've got free um, opportunities for members to engage with other occupational therapy practitioners through other venues. So, we've, again, we have to show that the, the value of actually participating and engaging in AOTA leadership. I think that our students are, are just dynamite in terms of their enthusiasm, their passion, and their commitment to the profession early on. And I, I want to thank our faculty members for really instilling that. I think we need to continue on that path. I think we now need to really focus on practitioners because it's the students coming out of school and going into practice that are interacting with practitioners that may not be members. It may not see the value in their AOT membership, and we've got to switch that. And we have to empower our students to actually start to dialogue with their, their fellow practitioners when they enter practice and tell them all the exciting things that, that's happening in the profession. And that really kind of being a member is like your union dues. It's your security for your profession. And it ensures that we're able to provide the best care to the clients that we serve. So we do have to find alternative ways to be creative with, with how we reach people from different sectors of the OT profession. Um, I think our online communities are, are wonderful. I'm really excited about the special interest section uh, leadership opportunities coming up. Thank you so much. All right, and thank, thank you, you so Sean. much. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Um, this is Sarah, and I'll be asking the second question. Um, and Sean, we'll begin with you um, for the second question. In your view, what is the most important challenge facing the association over the next three to five years as it works to advance the profession? And what are your suggestions for addressing it? I think the, the most critical um, thing that our association and our leadership needs to focus on is ensuring um, that occupational therapy remains viable in the current healthcare market. Um, obviously, there's a lot of political instability. We have midterm elections coming up. Um, all of those make huge, um, they have huge implications in terms of what practice is going to look like. And as an association and as a leadership team, we, we have the responsibility at the AOTA level to really navigate that environment and be strategic. And I'm so glad that we have Vision 2025 to really guide us in that effort and our strategic initiatives need to be aligned with making sure that OT is visible and valued as a profession. We're moving away from a volume-based approach to a value-based approach, which means, you know, right now everything is kind of based on the number of minutes of occupational therapy provided, and so there's an incentive to provide more and more and more, whether or not it's actually benefiting the, the client or the patient. And we're going to be moving towards a value-based structure where you're going to be accountable for outcomes. And, and that switch is going to be monumental in terms of changing the, the mindset of our OT practitioners. And the association has a primary role in really helping with that transition. 
Um, we're very aware of all the productivity expectations in the skilled nursing facility settings um, and also in other settings uh, where unrealistic productivity expectations are driving practice rather than what the needs of the client are. And I think we have to be very aggressive in giving people the tools and empowering them to say no, to stand up to administrators that are asking them to do things that are unethical, like billing for services that are not provided, or attaining a 95% productivity expectation, which we all know is absolutely unrealistic. And, um, you know, I think that not knowing the, where the current administration is going to be going with healthcare, we have to really keep our eye on the prize and, and make sure that OT is showing its value in healthcare, that we actually are able to demonstrate it clearly and that we have the evidence and we have people, the, the troops on the ground, really embracing uh, the new way of looking at OT and looking at population health and community-based practice and alternative models of care. And, you know, we do need to support traditional approaches um, and at the same time also start to really look for the opportunities in emerging markets and empower our practitioners and our students as well and, and, and being advocates for the direction of occupational therapy and, and where we need to be headed as a profession so that we can serve our clients in the best way. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Um, Wendy, I will repeat the question. In your Thank view, you. what, is, what is the most important challenge facing the association over the next three to five years as it works to advance the profession? And what are your suggestions for addressing it? Okay, well, thank you for, uh, for my turn. Um, I, I've given this question some thought. There's so many things, and, uh, and Dr. Phipps has uh, taken care of, uh, of much of the conversation about the challenges that are facing us related to uh, healthcare. Uh, you know, policy, politics, uh, changes in, in, uh, in how we, we pay for, for our services or reimburse for our services. Uh, that focus on value-based, uh, you know, kinds of payment and accountability uh, is going to be huge. And I think that in and of itself, um, you know, presents some challenges for us um, in that we need to have uh, the data and the evidence to support what we do to really, um, you know, validate that we are, we're effective, that we are cost-effective, that we are getting the outcomes uh, that are consistent with uh, occupational therapy, not somebody else. Uh, but yet, we're short on evidence. Um, we continue to uh, to build that base, uh, but we need to do more. And uh, you know, as we continue to, you know, go down that path toward uh, securing a a stronger base of evidence, uh, that will help shore us up. Uh, but but it's a it's a challenge, I think. Uh, we and we'll probably get to related questions about you know research capacity and things like that here in a little while. Um, another piece to this though is uh, we need to make sure that we are looking outside of the healthcare environment. You know, yes, we want to remain viable in our healthcare environment. We want to remain viable in our school systems. We want to remain viable in our skilled nursing facilities and long-term care. Or if those systems change as we maybe encounter uh, market corrections or policies that we at this point really can't anticipate because we are uncertain about how things are going to play out, uh, you know, with elections or with, you know, with changes in, in policy that, that impact us, um, you know, that's, 
that's going to be a, a game changer for us. It's going to re require us to be flexible, uh, adaptable, and maybe uh, you know consider other ways, other places uh, that we can provide occupational therapy services. So, you know, one of the challenges might be us. It might be uh, you know, can we be flexible in our thinking? Can we be adaptable in our response to some of the external things that are going to be uh, coming at us? And so. Um, as we expand uh, our scope of occupational therapy practice, uh, looking at you know the population health kind of uh, opportunities, um, our roles will change. How will we prepare for those, and do we have those things in place as we are developing new educational models? And I think that's an elephant that that we need to talk about, uh, or at least touch on. We will have uh, you know changes in our entry level uh, degree programs and things along that line that is going to challenge us too. So we're going to have to, to marry these things. We're going to have to you know, acknowledge the changes that are happening in our professional environment outside of us and, and those things that are outside of our control. Uh, but we also uh, you know, have the opportunity when these challenges come to us to recognize that we can be proactive if we start thinking now, if we start planning and doing now, and that we can, uh, you know, take charge and take responsibility for next steps uh, in our profession. So uh, I encourage us all to to be prepared for that and uh, be ready to step up and make it happen. So thank you for uh, for your time on this answer. And thank you, Wendy. Wendy, I will direct the next question to you first. How should we be? How should we be preparing existing and future practitioners to meet the needs of changing service delivery and payment models and demonstrate the distinct value of OT given the current healthcare climate? Okay. Well, that is, that is so close to that other question you just asked me, Michael. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about that, okay? Uh, how should we prepare our current and developing practitioners uh, for these changing practice models, it is going to be critical that we do exactly that. Prepare current, uh, as in developing, you know, our 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 practice base, our practitioners to to be ready for things coming, and also preparing um, our students um, to be ready for this next wave of uh, whatever becomes our occupational therapy profession. Uh, we're, we're not going to change drastically. The things that ground us are, are you know, our philosophy, our, our foundations, our, our core values, our core principles. Uh, you know, but things outside us will change. Uh, we may practice differently. Uh, our payment's going to be different. Our inter interprofessional collaborators and partners uh, may be different. Uh, we're going to have to think differently about service provision models. We're going to have to think differently about how to get to get to payment models. It's not just going to be about uh, you know how much is Medicare or Medicaid going to reimburse. We need to make sure that we're recognizing uh, that we need we need to be looking at grant writing. We need to be able to write proposals and submit those things and have successful outcomes uh, that can support uh, changing programs and uh, changing practice models. Um, that means we need to educate our current and developing practitioners. Uh, not everyone comes out of an entry-level program knowing how to write a grant and, uh, and submit that with good results. Uh, not everyone comes out of there uh, knowing who the right partners are or how to access them. So how can we model that 
um, you know, is continuing education enough, or is it in is it something where we need to really make some uh, intentional partnerships uh, between academia and and clinicians? Um, you know, those might be some of the ways that we might have to go about that. Uh, one thing I want to say about distinct value, and how can we prepare our current and developing practitioners? Uh, to be able to show our distinct value in a changing healthcare environment. I would say this, BOT in your practice. Know, talk, document, and demonstrate our distinct value. Uh, we are the people that do occupation. We are occupation-based practitioners. That, that's, our, that's our name, that's our foundation, that's where we start, that's where we end. And so if we are not, uh, going to engage in practice in that way, um, we really don't have anybody to blame for ourselves when people start questioning uh, how are you different from this other group? Uh, how are your outcomes uh, anything special that we need to account for uh, in our planning uh, as we as we look at other programs? Uh, we don't want to be left out of that conversation. So it is on us to demonstrate our distinct value. Uh, make sure that they know that we are cost-effective, uh, that we're client-centered, that we have positive outcomes that actually impact daily life. Uh, as we uh, continue to, you know, go through uh, these coming, I don't know, years, months, days, it's going to be difficult. We're going to have to be clear about policy. We're going to know that systems are going to change. We're going to have to recognize different partners. So taking that, that opportunity when we have that to, to educate, to walk people through system change, uh, and to support people uh, in these tough times as resilient leaders, uh, it will be critical for us to help those practitioners, current and developing, be confident, uh, understand their purpose, um, seek out the social support they need, and be adaptable uh, in the way they engage as practitioners. Thank you very much. Thank you, Wendy. And Sean, I will repeat the question for you. How should we be preparing existing and future practitioners to meet the needs of changing service delivery and payment models and demonstrate the distinct value of occupational therapy given the current healthcare climate? I think the, the first priority for every academic program is to help our students early on in the process identify themselves as leaders. And leadership looks very different for, for each student, each practitioner. It doesn't mean you have a position or a title. It might mean that you are the most effective practitioner on your interprofessional team. It might mean that you are a leader in developing an innovative program that is developed in an emerging market. Um, so leadership is going to look very different, but we have to convince our students to see themselves as leaders. I'm an adjunct faculty member that teaches a leadership man and management course, and I feel like my primary job is helping them all develop themselves as leaders, but from the outset of the course to actually start to um, develop that, that, that core value of leadership early on. And I think we need to do it at the beginning of the academic programs, not at the end, or not on a post-professional level. It really should be completely integrated into the core curriculum so that when those students come out, they see the opportunities. They know how to evaluate systems. They know how to navigate the challenges around them. 
they know how to articulate clearly the distinct value of occupational therapy in any setting that they're in. And we have to give them that, that confidence without being arrogant. The confidence is a critical factor in terms of somebody being able to be effective as a leader. To be a leader, people have to be committed to, to want to be on board with your ideas, and they have to feel your energy, your passion, your, um, your commitment to a particular initiative. And we need to teach our students how to do that with others so that we really have a community of leaders like the, one, like the ones we have on this call. Um, and I think it's absolutely critical that we also focus on the translation of evidence into practice. That is still uh, an area that uh, we have a lot of opportunity for growth. We've made long strides. I think AOTA has been a leader in helping practitioners on an everyday basis translate research into practice, but it's still it's not hardwired, and it's not something that is uh, systematically used across all practice settings. And we need to do a better job of helping our students and our, and our early practitioners especially um, to do this in a very comprehensive way. We all know that um, there are knowledge translation opportunities and, and strategies that, that really help. Um, and we've done this with a lot of the, the different programs at AOTA. You know, the evidence-based bites, um, taking some of the journal articles from AJOT and helping to translate that into practice. Um, so I think that those two issues in particular are going to be critical for the next generation of OT practitioners and students coming out. Number one, leadership, and second, uh, knowledge translation and uh, being an evidence-based practitioner as well as an occupation-based and client-centered practitioner. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sean. Okay, I will take the next question, and uh, Sean, it will be directed at you first. So uh, what are your recommendations to further enhance the profession's research capacity and facilitate the translation of evidence to practice? Yeah, so uh, you know, thank you. Um, it seems like I kind of it was perfect that I kind of led with the, the, the concept of knowledge translation at the end of the last question. Um, again, I think we need to do different tools, and as I was mentioning earlier on the call, uh, one size doesn't fit all, and we have to reach people in different ways, and we, we need to be creative with how we message. Um, I think the, the resources on the AOTA website are phenomenal. Um, we have a whole section of AOTA that focuses on evidence-based practice and knowledge translation. And our students now are oftentimes publishing uh, their work on how, how to translate evidence into practice. And I think that we just need to find creative avenues um, and that would be a combination of, of in-print, um, online opportunities, as well as even social media. We know that we can reach people in different ways, and uh, we have to meet, you know, the everyday practitioner where they are. We know that they're busy. We know that they have uh, very large caseloads and productivity expectations, and we have to uh, really drill that evidence down to something that is practical and easy to implement. Um, that also means that they need to be able to read the literature. They need to be able to evaluate um, critically uh, an article that comes out and not just um, accept any you know, form of evidence, but looking at the hierarchy of evidence and really critically thinking about how it applies to their particular patient. And I think that's also the importance of client-centered practice is that being an evidence-based practitioner also means that you are meeting the needs of your individual client, and you have to determine whether or not the evidence actually meets your client's needs. 
So I think we uh, have come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. And it's a very exciting time because I think that it's, um, especially with our electronic um, capabilities, I think we have a, an opportunity to meet people much quicker in terms of how to translate knowledge into everyday practice. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Wendy, I will repeat it for you. Thank you. What are your What are your recommendations to further enhance the profession's research capacity and facilitate the translation of evidence to practice? Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I I would agree wholeheartedly with you know the things that uh, are are coming from Sean. Um, our practitioners uh, they are that translate into evidence or into practice uh, folks. Um, they're on, they are on the ground. They, they want to do best practice. They want to do evidence-based practice. Uh, they maybe don't have, have access in the same way uh, that folks do in an academic environment uh, or in other settings. And so if there are ways that we can uh, make information available, uh, that we can synthesize uh, the research that's out there uh, in a way that comes to them uh, so it's easy to digest and then uh, also easy to uh, implement in their daily work, uh, we will be able to uh, perhaps move that along. Uh, we can't assume that everybody knows how to incorporate uh, you know, that evidence into their practice. We, we need to be willing to be, to be partners in that journey and, and to support them uh, perhaps when it's frustrating or when some things are unclear. And so, uh, you know, I think that's a, it, it's important for all of us to recognize the responsibility that we have to translate and incorporate evidence into practice. Um, another piece of that is um, recognizing that, you know, our practitioners have the potential to be research partners, uh, particularly as we think about the great questions that they probably have every day, clinically relevant questions uh, about, you know, the things that they do in their interventions, about the assessments that they are using, about the outcomes, and, and how is that intervention actually making something happen or not. And so, you know, th those questions, those clinical questions that they have, we have opportunities to, uh, you know, reach from academia to practice, uh, you know, to reach and, and make that connection, uh, support research capacity for our clinicians, but also extend the research of some of our, our uh, higher level researchers and scientists. Um, I do want to touch on, um, on the AOTA-AOTF uh, partnership. Uh, the shared research agenda uh, that guides a lot of our research and and the opportunities that uh, that some folks have had to uh, really build their own capacity through intervention grants and other supported activities, uh, particularly through through AOTF, but in support by that of that partnership. Um, the intervention research is is money uh, that a lot of times our scientists don't have. Uh, particularly our young scientists, so it's great that that's available in a shared partnership. I would like to encourage AOTA and AOTF to, to extend that focus, um, to, to reach out beyond intervention research and start to engage or at least support uh, some initial uh, looks at health system research. Uh, we are in systems, uh, whether it's health systems or school systems, that 
uh, you know, we maybe don't have all the information about that connection between uh, policy and practice or the other way around. Uh, we need to support efforts to really understand the places where we work and how that impacts practice and practitioners. Um, you know, in addition to that, I would just say uh, that we have senior researchers, we have scientists, uh, a number of them, but maybe not enough of them. So how can we support them? They have a big load to carry uh, to be the evidence producers uh, and communicators for our profession. So that is the other end of the spectrum that needs our attention and support. Thank you very much. And thank you, Wendy. Wendy, I will direct the next question to you first. As thank you. you reflect as you reflect on your leadership journey, can you describe an experience in which you were particularly challenged or did not meet with ex expected success? And what did you learn from this experience? Oh boy, that's a great question. I can think of I can think of several. I'll have to debate between these two here for a short second, uh, but it's a short second. Um, I have to go back to uh, to my time as a state association president. I was uh, president of the Kansas OT Association for a five year period of time, 1994 uh, to 1999. Um, Smack in the middle of that, we had uh, a professional challenge, you all might remember, uh, called a Balanced Budget Act of 1997. Uh, you know, certainly legislation whose aim was to curb runaway costs and, and uh, you know, correct some of the problems and, and, and things that were happening uh, related to, you know, Medicare and uh, reimbursement payment, things along that line. Uh, that were not being done in a way that was was ethical or grounded in uh, in best practice. Um, so so the intent uh, perhaps might have been uh, been noble, but the sweeping changes uh, in reimbursement and payment and staffing. Uh, you know we have we had reduction in service provision in healthcare settings, uh, and ultimately we had a significant hit uh, to our own occupational therapy. Uh, workforce and uh, and the practices that were happening, uh, you know, in skilled nursing and home health and long-term care, uh, and then the ripple effect out from that. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, 1999 was when Resolution J, uh, you know, came through the Representative Assembly, mandating the move to the post-baccalaureate uh, preparation for the occupational therapist. Um, you know, the the two collided. There's no question about that. Regardless of uh, of that collision and the two specifics that happened there, uh, as a state association president, uh, I was challenged with managing that kind of change. Uh, that change meaning a marked downturn in our student applicant pools. Uh, that meaning uh, people losing their jobs or seeing salary reductions, uh, that meaning that people were questioning, uh, you know, the places where we worked and, and if we were going to, you know, survive this, this big balanced budget act and the implications of that. Um, we saw people making decisions about professional membership. Um, we saw people making decisions about staying in the profession. So it was really important uh, as a leader. Uh, to be able to 
recognize the opportunities for people to be able to help them recraft and rethink uh, perhaps how their next day was looking uh, as an occupational therapist or an occupational therapy assistant. Uh, I had to lend support to keep people from retracting from our practice and help them really look at membership uh, as a value and recognize that the support of their profession, the connections, a place where they could discuss change, a place where they could strategize with people, and a place where they could move forward, uh, that was going to be uh, their professional membership and their colleagues uh, within that environment. We also had to help people recognize uh, that policy is one piece of what we do. So how could we help them understand policy and the changes that brings about and prepare to be change leaders when they were reengaging uh, in some of these challenging settings? Ironically, we might look at our time right now and question if we are uh, in some similar situations or if we might anticipate market, some market corrections coming uh, that might make people uh, unsettled in their practice situations. If that's the case, I'm ready for that. Uh, I've been there, I have done that, and I will do that uh, with our membership uh, along the way. We'll do it together. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. And Sean, I will repeat the question for you. As you reflect on your leadership journey, can you describe an experience in which you, you were particularly challenged or did not meet with ex expected success? And what did you learn from this experience? A uh, very important question. And, and like Wendy, <laughs> I have to go back to state association leadership. I think that's where a lot of us learn about challenges. Um, it, I started as president of the Occupational Therapy Association of California in 2008. And if you remember historically, the economy tanked in September of 2018. So I had just started my term as president July 1st, 2000, I'm sorry, 2008, and the economy tanked in September of 2008. And so literally within two months of my presidency, I was now having to deal with the, the challenges of this economic downturn I mentioned earlier on the call that sometimes the, the membership check is the last one that people write, and they do make decisions. Now, unlike the balanced budget amendment, the OT market was actually very strong at that time. It was oftentimes what was happening to the husbands, the wives, the partners of those, of those members, uh, where they you know, all of a sudden were the, the sole provider of their family. We saw a record number of people trying to come back to practice after being out of practice for 10, 15. And I remember uh, one member actually being out of practice for 25 years. And she was forced to come back to practice and basically, you know, uh, rev up all of her continuing education to be able to qualify for a license. Um, we dealt with huge challenges with, with payment and reimbursement in our state, particularly in pediatric practices. Um, and we saw that the state was starting to look very critically at, you know, how we were spending on <clears throat> a lot of the programs that occupational therapy practitioners um, were influential in, uh, like early intervention, for example, in school-based practice. And so we really had to innovate. It actually required us to think outside of the box. We had to work smarter and harder. We we started to think about what do we need to do differently. Um, there were, I had many sleepless nights and wasn't quite sure whether or not we were going to be successful in this very difficult time. 
Um, luckily, I had a wonderful executive director, Karen Palastra, who started July 1st, 2008, at the very time that I started. So we literally started together as the you know, chief elected officer and the chief executive officer of the association. Um, and we just kind of worked with our board of directors and started thinking critically about what we, what we needed to do. We started to rebrand the association. We started a membership outreach and communication um, plan that really started to target our everyday practitioners. We started to engage them differently. This was also the time when social media was really starting to um, take effect, and we started to really try to, to use social media in a creative way to really engage members. Um, so I learned from that process as much as I, at, at one point probably during that very first month when the economy tanked, oh gosh, I, I think I probably wanted to run from it because it was just so scary to think about what could have happened. Um, in the end, what I learned about that experience as a leader is that sometimes those toughest challenges are the things that produce better leadership development in the long run. And it actually is sometimes what pushes you to innovate. So I'm very thankful for that experience. Had I not had that, I may not be as well prepared as a leader as I am today. I think it gave me the, 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 the leadership ability to be on the AOTA Board of Directors for the last six years and now running for president. Um, I know that I can tackle those big issues and those big problems, and they're oftentimes unknown. You never know what you're going to inherit as AOTA president. So I think that adversity is really what drives innovation. And I think we need to also um, build that into how we build future leaders in the profession and, and, and help them to see that shying away from challenges is not really actually the right approach when you're developing as a leader. It's really tackling those tough issues. And oftentimes when you think you're not going to be able to, to, to actually make a change, um, you may surprise yourself once you start to come up with a creative plan and work with others collaboratively to, to ensure the future of the profession. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Sean. Sean. Okay, um, for our last question, Sean, I will direct it at you first. Given your leadership experience and goals, how would AOTA and its members benefit from having you serve as the next president? Well, I, I think uh, Michael did a very nice uh, summary. I have uh, served on the AOTA Board of Directors for six years since 2012, served as vice president the last three years, served on the AOTF Board of Trustees the last three years. I've chaired the Centennial Vision uh, Committee as well as the Distinct Value Committee. Um, I've been involved with so many aspects of our executive leadership at AOTA, and I've really been in training mode since I started in the profession. You know, I started by getting involved at the local and state level. I've been on the executive board of my state association starting in 2000, and then uh, was elected two consecutive times as president of the OT Association in California from 2008 to 2012. And I feel like I have built the leadership skills to be effective in this role. I think my leadership experience also outside of the OTA and my state association has also built my leadership skills. You know, I've had the opportunity to develop as a, a master clinician and a supervisor and a manager and now an executive leader at Rancho Los Amigos National Rehabilitation Center. I'm the first occupational therapist that's actually served on our executive leadership team. And I feel like that experience has also given me a systems perspective it's very unique, and I think um, being able to navigate this healthcare environment that we're in really requires that special skill. 
So I feel I'm, I'm, I'm uniquely uh, qualified to, to serve as AOTA president, and I really look forward to your support and your vote. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Sean. Wendy, I will um, ask the question again. Given your leadership experience and goals, how would AOTA and its members benefit from having you serve as the next president? Okay, thank you for uh, for the last word. Wow, I don't get that very often, so so I'll take that. Thank you. Uh, I believe this is the right time for me. This is the right time for me, Wendy Hildenbrand, to serve as AOTA's next president-elect. Our association and our profession are positioned for great things en route to Vision 2025. And as we, we charge forward into the next centennial, uh, we are going to be facing uncertainty. We're going to be facing change. Uh, we're going to be facing a whole lot of things that are going to tax us. They're going to tax our resolve. They're going to tax, uh, tax, uh, tax up the way we look at, at our profession and the way we look at each other. Uh, unfortunately, tough times can be divisive, and they can shine the light on negativity, uh, hopelessness, or apathy. Uh, we do not have room for that kind of energy in our profession or our association. I value diversity of thought, but I don't appreciate disrespectful dialogue. I welcome concerns, but I, I then expect presentation of solutions. I learn from past experiences and mistakes, but I don't get stuck there. So that makes me excited then when I wake up every day with great hope for the future for our profession, and I want you to do the same, and I want you to do it with me. And so at this point in time, I really feel that AOTA and AOTA members need a relational, a relational and a resilient leader, and I'm that leader. When I reflect on my leadership skills, characteristic, and style, my relational leadership lens helps me focus on purpose, inclusion, empowerment, ethics, and process, all of which are important values to me. I work with others to bring about positive change, and I genuinely enjoy people and processes. Uh, now, do not be fooled into thinking that this makes me soft or indecisive. That is definitely not me. But I do care about getting to the best outcomes through the shared work and commitment of a group or organization. That will help me serve you well as your president-elect and then as president. It will also support my efforts at transparency in my work and being responsive to membership. Along with my relational approach to leadership, I demonstrate resilience in leadership as well. Many times we don't have the luxury of controlling every circumstance, limiting, uh, limiting uncertainty, or avoiding conflict, but we do have choices in how we respond and frame situations for others. I'm a realist. I recognize constraints and adversity, yet I remain optimistic, hopeful, and in search of ideal resolutions, even in that realist frame, set or frame of mind. Resilient leaders, we walk the talk, even when the walk is difficult. In my own personal life and in my own professional leadership, I've demonstrated that I can persevere. Adversity does not bring me down. I'm an adaptable leader, not afraid of flexing or trying new approaches in tough times. And as a courageous leader, I have had to stand firm in hard places with a clear eye on my own North Star and principles. That's not always easy when uncertainty fills the air or competing values collide. That said, I've made mistakes too that have required me to take personal responsibility and make corrections uh, to get back on track. We've all done that. Lessons learned and moving forward, right? So in short, I lead 
I take a stand. I let you know what's on my mind, and I'm ready to serve. So to wrap up, I did not enter this campaign to meet a professional goal for me. My leadership commitment is to you, the AOTA membership. Serving you well is my goal. I've served our profession fiercely through state association leadership, through the representative assembly, and on the AOTA board of directors. There is still a lot of work to do, and I want to be part of it. Finally, I ask you to vote for me when you cast your ballot in coming weeks. Uh, I can't believe Tuesday's opening day. Isn't that crazy? Thank you so much for your time, for your attention, and interest in this podcast this evening. And in true Kansas fashion, I say good night and rock chalk. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Well, once again, a heartfelt thank you to our 2018 candidates for AOTA president-elect. You all have given us a lot to think about and shared a lot of valuable information that we can use to inform our vote on January 9th. In addition, thank you for your leadership and for all of your contributions to our wonderful profession. We know you are incredibly busy professionals, so on behalf of myself and the community of leaders, thank you again for your time tonight and for all that you do for our profession every day. To our listeners, you can learn more about the candidates for AOTA elections 2018 through the resources available from AOTA. Read election bios, print a sample ballot, and mark the ballot with your choices so you are ready to cast your vote when the voting site opens on January 9th. You can also join the 2018 Elections Forum discussion on OT Connections to continue our conversation, share your questions, and directly engage with our candidates candidates for AOTA elections. AOTA supports transparency of of its election process and hopes to provide members with methods for direct engagement with the candidates. AOTA values its volunteer leaders and members as we support the profession's progress towards Vision 2025. Vote and let your OT voices be heard. The AOTA online voting window will be open from January 9th through January 30th, 2018. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Wendy. Thank, you, thank Sarah. you, Sarah. Thank you, Rebecca. all. Have a good night. Everyone have a good have night. a wonderful evening. Good night, thank all. Thank you, guys. Good night.